You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So glad you're here. I'm so expecting for 2018. God's got amazing things in store for us, and I don't just say that. I've been praying a lot in preparation for 2018, and God's just stirring up so much excitement and anticipation for what he wants to do. And so glad you're a part. I want to give just a point of clarification about the Bible reading plan that we are launching 2018, the Read Scripture Bible reading plan. We want everyone to be a part of this in some form or fashion. So here are the clarification points, because there may be some that think they're disqualified for one reason or another from the Bible reading plan. One is technology. If you're like, I don't have a smartphone, I, I, I prefer my landline or whatever it is, uh, we will have printed Bible reading plans for you, and we would love for everyone to be a part. Secondly, if you're like, this is reading the Bible in a year, that's, that's a lot of reading of the Bible for some, uh, to read four or five chapters a day. And, um, and, I, and we are not saying that you have to read the entire Bible in a year to still track along and still get something from this Bible reading plan. Uh, the reason we are so excited about launching this Bible reading plan is because within the app, it ties all the scripture reading back to the overarching uh, story of Jesus, his redemptive story. And if you've ever attempted to read much of the Old Testament or even some of the stuff that comes towards the end of the book, um, sometimes it can be really easy to get lost in the weeds. And you're reading some of the details, and you're like, how does this connect with Jesus? What does this have to do with my life? And so this app, in a really succinct and profound way, ties everything back to the overarching story of Jesus. And so um, and almost every day has a, has a short video that, that explains things in the grander scheme of things. And it's super powerful, not, not just for intellectual understanding, but for then daily application. And we're going to talk about that this morning, why the message of Jesus is relevant to our everyday lives. And so this Bible reading plan actually... Uh, equips our church in a very significant way to live out the mission that I believe God's put uh, at the heart of this church, uh, to live out the message of Jesus. So check out the Bible reading plan. It'll be phenomenal. Make it your own. If you, if you can't bite off all the reading, maybe pick one for that day. The next day, jump in and pick another one. Just track along. God's going to reward that and bless you in it and use it in your life. We're going to start a new series this morning called Good News. Really excited. It's, it's going to be a study on the book of Galatians. Over the next six weeks, we are going to study the book of Galatians. So if you're in this place and you've never read the book of Galatians, I'm praying that the book of Galatians comes alive to you in a significant way, just jumps off the pages in a way that impacts your life, your daily living. If you're in this place and you've read the book of Galatians several times, I'm praying that in a fresh way, the book of Galatians will speak to your life. God, through his word, will um, penetrate the busyness of what you're experiencing in your day-to-day life. One of the, the mantras of our church is we want to be a church that lives the message of Jesus Christ. You'll see those three words, live the message, on almost everything that we have around here, all of our website, on, on our doors, printed pretty much everywhere, live the message. At the heart of this church, we want to be a church that doesn't just have intellectual assent, mental assent, or uh, doctrinal um, Uh, affiliation or unity. We want to be a church that really lives out and experiences the message of Jesus Christ. We believe the message of Jesus is not just um, a a, a statement of faith. We believe the message of Jesus is meant to be experienced and it's supposed to affect our lives Monday through Sunday. 
So we're really a Monday through Sunday church. And at the heart of Galatians, I believe, is that central concept of the gospel or the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, not meant to be a religious system, which we just sang about, but it's meant to be a message that transforms our daily lives. And that's really, really good news because our lives are difficult. Our lives have many challenges. Our lives have many things coming at them. And I want to tell you, there's good news in the message of Jesus that it's relevant for your daily life. That's not, that's not just a, uh, dumbing down the message of Jesus in a practical sense. I'm saying on a spiritual, deep level, the gospel is relevant to your daily lives. At the heart of the book of Galatians is that central concept. So I want to start with this analogy. I want you to think about uh, the last sporting event that you've been at. Hopefully it was an Iowa State event of some sort, a football game. I know some drove all the way down to Memphis, yes, to, to cheer on. I know some, some here drove down to Memphis to cheer on the, the Cyclones at the Liberty Bowl. Phenomenal end to an amazing season. But think of yourself, the last event you were at, sporting event. Uh, recently I got to take my daughter, Lucy, for her sixth birthday to a men's basketball game, and she had a phenomenal time. But in order for you to get into an event, what do you have to have? You gotta have a ticket. It doesn't matter what kind of outfit you're wearing, if you got the face paint, if you're a guy and you ripped your shirt off and you got the, the body paint, it doesn't matter if you don't got a ticket. They will stop at the door and you're gonna go watch, listen to the car or listen to the game from your radio in the car. Too bad, too sad, so sad. But once you get in with your ticket, if you do got a ticket, do you just set your ticket aside or throw it in the trash can? Absolutely not. Your ticket is still validation for your place in the grand scheme of things. If you got courtside seats, you still need to have a ticket to get down there. If you got the sweet, um, uh, sweet, sweet, yes, the, the awesome box suite at the game, you got to have a ticket to show that you are uh, legitimate, that you really belong there. Sadly, I believe many believers, many Christians, or even many people that think they know what Christianity is, they associate the message of Jesus, the gospel, the message of Jesus, which I'm going to define this morning, they associate it with simply an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. They associate it simply as a free pass to heaven, only for eternity. But the message of Jesus is much richer and much deeper and much fuller than just a ticket to heaven. The message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is both the entry into the kingdom of Jesus and the life life in the kingdom. It's both ent entry into the kingdom and life in the kingdom. And I want us as a church to understand that, begin diving into that, live within it, begin digesting the gospel or the good news of Jesus on a daily basis. As we lead our families, as we lead in the marketplace, as we live out our faith on the campus, in the schools, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ is relevant in all of those contexts. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians. We're going to take a look at this letter. This is a letter written 15 years after the life of Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, that is, Paul wrote this letter, not just to a single church, but there seemed to be some influencers having their way in several churches in the region of Galatia. So the, the, uh, Galatia is not a city, it's a, it's a region, it's a group of churches. And what's so interesting about the book of Galatians 
is that some of the letters that Paul writes are very general letters, and they're meant to be passed around in that way, general teaching for all the churches. The book of Galatians is not that way, not that it's not meant to be passed around, but the book of Galatians has a very clear point and subject. And the tone of Paul in this letter stands apart from the rest of the letters. He comes in swinging, and we'll see that right here in chapter 1. Paul comes in hot and heavy, strong, because what's at stake here in the book of Galatians is of the utmost importance for the realness, the reality of, of what Jesus gave his life for and the reason the power of God was displayed through the resurrection. Everything's at stake in what Paul is going after here in the book of Galatians. So he, he leaves no room for, um, for all the politeness that he would normally put at the beginning of a letter. He just comes in strong We'll see that here right at the beginning. Let's pray before we read. Lord, you're welcome in this place. I just declare that over every heart and over every life, over every mind, that you are welcome in this place to have your way. To speak in a profound way, God, into our daily lives, into the muck and mire of what we wrestle with, through the doubts, through the unbelief, through the questions, through the uncertainties, Lord, that the goodness of God, the goodness of heaven, would invade those places in a tangible and a real way. I pray that would just come flooding out of your word this morning, in your precious name, amen. Let's read this. Galatians chapter 1, we'll read the whole chapter. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So right away, he is, he is making a claim of his authority. That he is not sent by men, he is sent by Jesus Christ himself. He is an apostle of God, not of men or through men. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the, from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't have it both ways. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not a man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And now he goes into his testimony. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who is Peter, 
and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea and are in Christ. They, are only, uh, they, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. We'll stop right there for today. Paul is passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he uses that word gospel many times. If that word is hanging you up at all, because that's not a common word in our uh, current vernacular, just simply insert the word message or good news of Jesus, and it'll make a little bit more sense in our modern language. But right out of the gate here, Paul makes clear what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and I want us to understand what that is. If we're saying the good news of Jesus is both the point of the entry, both the point of entry and life in the kingdom, we have to understand what the good news of Jesus is. So what is the good news? But right away in verse 4, he says this man, this king, Jesus Christ, he is the one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus is our rescuer. He is our deliverer. We need a rescuer. You and I, we need a rescuer. You may not know that. In our Western way of thinking, we, we often think of ourselves as good people. So the idea of us needing a savior, needing a rescuer, rescuer doesn't come naturally to the world in which the worldview in which we are entrenched in. So why is it that we need a rescuer? Why do we need to be delivered from our sins? If we think back to Genesis chapter 1, it says God created man in his image. And in his image, he created him. Both male and female, he created them. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that you and I, we are created in God's image. That was his original intention for us. But something went horribly wrong in that image bearing. And I think there's multiple aspects to you and I bearing the image of God. But at the heart of it, one of the primary aspects of you and I bearing the image of God that sets us apart from the rest of creation, he doesn't say that about any other of his created beings, it's just humanity, at the heart of it is relationship with God. We have capacity for relationship with God Almighty, with our creator. No animal can have it that way, nothing else in the universe. It's humanity that has that capacity. But something went horribly wrong. In all of our own stories, we've all decided to define an identity outside of that principal identity of relationship with God. We've all decided to define right and wrong in our own way. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, is Adam and Eve choosing their own way. They ate from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. They began to define good and evil in their own terms. And we have done that as well. Romans chapter 3 says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So in me saying that you desperately need a rescuer is not a judgmental statement of you being any worse than your neighbor. We all have to reconcile what our, or understand what our standard of good is. Compared to your neighbor, compared to what you see on the media, you may be a great person. Let's understand what God originally created us to be. 
And when we understand that, that we were meant to bear the image of God, we were meant to reflect God's goodness and his character. We were meant to represent and reflect who he is through relationship with him. We have all fallen miserably short of the glory of God. Right from the beginning, as we come into this world, we continue to try to do it on our own. And we've fallen miserably short of that. So what is the good news? It's very simply that we are made in the image of God. Sin destroyed that image. So God redeemed us through Christ. That's why it's such remarkably good news. That God rescued us. He gave us a way to actually be, be, be in a right relationship with God. And so now relationship with God can become our new normal. That's our new way of life. Our Monday through Sunday can look like relationship with God because of the good news, the goodness of God displayed through Jesus Christ. That is good news. You can't make this stuff up. C.S. Lewis said that. He said, Christianity must be from God, for who else could have thought it up? It sets itself apart from all other religious systems. There's no other religious system that proposes that God would come and rescue us. All other religious systems set it up for man to have to somehow earn favor and acceptance from God. But Christianity sets itself apart because it's designed and authored by God himself. So two aspects to the good news of Jesus that we have, to, we have to continually keep at the forefront. And so we all need rescuing, and God alone rescues. Everybody needs rescuing. And God alone can rescue. You can't muster it up through your own effort. You cannot earn it like we sang just now. Jesus rescued us. So what is it not? Why is Paul so worked up here in Galatians 1? What is it not? Let's just look at verses 6 and 7. He says he's astonished that they're so quickly deserting. The simple gospel of Jesus. The simple and pure and powerful gospel of Jesus. The gospel of grace. And you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but these troublemakers, they were using the word gospel but they were distorting it. They were twisting it. And Paul uses that word distort to refer to this message that these troublemakers were inserting in these churches. And what's fascinating about that word distort is literally it means to change or to reverse. Any addition to the message of Jesus, simple faith in Jesus' sufficiency to save you and to redeem you, to bring you into right relationship with the Father, any addition to that, it's not just a, a small departure, it's a full reversal. Because now it's not, it's not on God, now it's back on you to somehow do something more, to somehow muster up right intentions and, and right actions, right effort in and of yourself to gain the approval and the acceptance of God. Any departure is a full reversal. When you understand it in, those, those, that, in that um, drastic of a way, it'll help us in the day-to-day -day reflect or constantly um, deflect any of our own tendencies towards trying to earn, earn God's acceptance. You can't. Jesus already fully did it for you. He fully paid the price. 
And the enemy, I believe, loves to twist the good news of Jesus and put it back on us. It's in those places of shame and condemnation that I believe the enemy keeps so many, so many believers trapped for decades, trapped in insecurities and um, bitterness and unforgiveness, never measuring up. Instead of what I believe God's bringing us into in 2018, a year of freedom, God's breaking people, going to be breaking people free. Where they have greater confidence, not in of themselves, because they're so wrecked by the grace and the love of God. But they're not living for the approval of others. They're fully accepted by the Father because of what Jesus Christ did. That, that's a fun place to live. And that's God's best for our lives. It's a silly example, but my wife got a pressure cooker over, over Christmas. And in order for a pressure cooker to work, there's power in that, that seal actually existing. As soon as the seal is broken in the pressure cooker, it does not have the power to do what it's going to do. And she's been cooking some amazing stuff lately, which is really bad news for the week of prayer and fasting. I'm just going <laughs> to confess. I've been thinking about it. I'm supposed to fast, but she's making some amazing stuff. And then she pulls out of this magical device is just phenomenal. But there, the, the, the pressure cooker loses its power if that seal is just broken subtly. So it is with the good news of Jesus. If you insert some addition, you got to be baptized in a certain way. you got to dress a certain way. you got to talk a certain way. You have to be affiliated with the right people. You have to look like so-and-so. You have to measure up to them, to their, what, they, what they're heaping on you. Any any uh, bowing to those types of additions loses the power of the good news of Jesus, which is freedom and grace. Not a sloppy freedom, not a sloppy grace. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. It's a freeing grace to actually empower you to live fully and reflect God more accurately. Well, I want us to understand, I said it earlier that those two aspects of the good news that will keep you grounded uh, day in and day out. Because we all need rescuing, and it's only through Jesus that we can be rescued. It's in that that we'll understand that only in Christ is the best, is our best not good enough, and our worst is not bad enough. You can muster up the best behavior you can, and still, it doesn't measure up to the perfection, the holiness of God. We'll see that the other side of eternity. When we get into the holiness of God, we'll see how far we had fallen. We need the perfection of Jesus. So it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how awesome you think you are. You could be better than Mother Teresa herself. And still, compared to the perfection of Jesus, it's not good enough. At the same time, what's so good about the good news of Jesus is that your worst is not bad enough to disqualify you. His grace is still sufficient, even in your worst. So there are some that say, I've done, I've done horrific things that I will never tell anybody ever. I can tell you the grace of God is sufficient for the facades and the superficialities of what you think is your best, all the way to the other extreme of your worst. In the depths and the darkness of the, the wickedness in your own heart, gr the grace of Jesus Christ is enough. So we continue through Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. 
He says that the gospel that he preached wasn't man's gospel. He, re- he didn't receive it from any man, and he's obviously building up his own apostolic authority, which after the life of the apostles hasn't, ex- hasn't existed. These are all ones who received the revelation of the good news of Jesus directly from Jesus himself. So Paul is setting himself alongside the other, uh, other 12 disciples as ones who've received the revelation of Jesus directly from, himself, from Jesus himself. But I want to make a point that I am contending over every single person that steps foot into this church that they would themselves have a personal encounter with Jesus. We are a church that doesn't um, build up this sense of Christianity that's just simply a heritage Christianity. That I'm a Christian because my grandparents were Christians and my great-grandparents were Christians, therefore I'm a Christian and I go to this church. We're not, we're not a church that uh, promotes that type of Christianity. We, we are a church that promotes uh, Christianity that is personal encounter. It's every single person for themselves coming into personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't want this just to be simply something that's handed down to you, that's force-fed upon you. I think, you know, in the olden days of catechisms, and there's still many uh, mainstream churches that, that follow a certain catechism, where it's, it's meant to be a certain um, um, rite of passage for young people. I think they would have their place if they were grounded in the purity of the gospel. But the, the enemy came into those, those forms of religion and stole the heart of them, the power of them. And that what it became was this, this, just this heritage passing down of knowledge into our heads. Instead of heart transformation, instead of these young people actually encountering Jesus for themselves, what they, what they learned to do was say the right answers and go through the right motions. Appease these people that are expecting this of them. That's not a, meant to be a critical statement. That's just realities of our tendencies as humans. My desire for every single person is that they encounter Jesus for themselves. You can, I'm thankful that people trust what I say, that they, they, they even listen to my own story, but at the end of the day, I want you to encounter the truths that I talk about. I want you to experience it for yourself. Then he gets into his own testimony. And I want you just to take note of verses 13 and 14. He says, You've heard from my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently, and he tried to destroy it. This was a man who murdered Christians. It doesn't get much worse than that. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can think that you got, a, you got a bad history. But Paul was so bad in his prior life, prior to encountering Jesus, that he murdered Christians. That pretty much takes the cake. But you may be in this place, and you think you got something worse. The power of Paul's testimony and really just Jesus' life and ministry is that it's sufficient. In the very next verse, then, he goes to the opposite extreme. And he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So at the same time, he was propped up as, this, as the best of the best. He was accomplishing more than any of his peers of his generation. He was exalted as the best. Man, this guy is the epitome of righteousness. And still, Paul, the the point he's coming to is, it's still not good enough. You can be the best of the best, a shining example of what you feel like it means to be righteous and good 
and still it falls miserably short. In Philippians chapter 3, he later says it's, he considers it all like garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. And so in that, I was reminded of, of a testimony of one of our Chi Alpha interns. I was going to have Riley come and share his testimony. He's never murdered Christians. I don't, I don't think so, but... <laughs> but there's part of his story that I just feel like resonates so much with uh, Paul's. So, Yeah, so um, the, the part that really uh, resonates with me and Paul's story is that uh, when I was growing up, I was, uh, a, a, I was a good kid. I went to church a lot. I uh, went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. I was president of my youth group. I went to confirmation. I knew things. Um, better than other students in confirmation, whatever. Um, I served people. I, I raked leaves for old ladies, whatever. I did dishes. <clears throat> um, those are all good things, right? Um, but um, what, what I kind of fell into was that I was, I was getting recognized for doing these things, acting this way, and I... I I thought I had to, to pretend and, and, and strive to do these things and justify myself in front of people and make these people happy so that my, my testimony would be uh, that I was perfect and that you can be perfect too or something like that. Um, but that sucks. And I, I was, I was uh, literally hiding everything uh, that I was messing up on because I wasn't perfect. Um, and... Um, yeah, and I was just living for this, the, the, the approval of others, and that, that just eats at you, and it's tiring, and it's exhausting. Um, and it, it led to a lot of pride and arrogance, but it also led to a lot of uh, self-consciousness because, you know, you, you can't live up to that. <clears throat> so I, I, I was hiding secret sins and whatever, and it, it just led to... To, to that the pride, that self-consciousness, it led to depression and joylessness, and, and I, I just hated it, and I couldn't share the gospel with anybody, because why would I want anybody to, to be a part of that? that that's lame. <clears throat> um, but it was when I finally understood that I, I couldn't justify myself, and that I wasn't asked to justify myself, that, that I could... <clears throat> uh, confess that I wasn't perfect and put my trust in Jesus, that uh, my life was changed. Um, and it was amazing, and, and he's given me a, a peace and an identity that um, I'm good enough because uh, of what he's done and that he loves me and that I, I don't have to uh, uh, do these things to justify myself. I can do these things out of love this overflowing love that, that, that's in me because of what he's done and the love that he's shown me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. That's so good. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the first time I met Riley, his freshman year, and that was the place he was in. Uh, I don't know how many years, that was 16 years ago, was your freshman year or something? But God's just done an amazing work in his life, and that's somebody who came from the roots within Christianity 
And that's just my, my fear in sensing like, um, where uh, Western Christianity has gone. And my heart burns so strongly for the real, pure gospel to impact people's lives. That there'd be this freedom that Riley talked about. This freedom to know Christ and to die to the opinions of others, as Paul talked about. And to fully go after everything that God calls us to. To live in that daily. That's where the, the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to get into in the book of Galatians, flows out of. Is this just being wrecked by the grace and the love of God daily. Thank you, Riley. And if you think this was this whole thing of Jesus coming and God giving his very best was uh, like God like um, strains to do that. Like it's, you're a difficult one for him to love. You may think that you're difficult for him to love. Verse 16, it says that he was, pre- he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Specifically, Paul is re- referring to how God is going to redeem him to use him at, to be an apostle to the nations and to be one of the apostles that establishes most of the New Testament. But on a much lesser scale, and I want you to understand that God was pleased to reveal his son to you. He really was. He gave his very best, generously, extravagantly, and he was pleased. And and the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now for that very reason. Because God longs for relationship with you so much that he'd give his son for you. And daily, that's the opportunity we have to respond. We have the opportunity to respond to that, the pleasure of heaven over you. When he's saying, son, daughter, today, yesterday is great. Tomorrow will come, but today I want relationship with you. Will you respond to the voice of God today? And Monday morning, if you're willing to listen, tomorrow morning, God will be calling that out upon your life. Will you be willing to listen? He's pleased to reveal his son to you. Riley referred to it, but in verse 10, I do want us to, this is how I want us to end. I want you to note how Paul's paradigm of uh, motivation completely shifted after encountering the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. He says, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And he later says that I would not be a servant of Christ if I was still trying to please man. Any other form of religion where we're trying to build ourselves up, we're either trying to approve our own, I mean, we're trying to gain the approval of our own conscience or gain the approval of others. And it always falls short. What I envision over our church is a group of hundreds of people that are so set free by the love of God that they live fully in that daily, that they walk and they commune with God, that they do, yes, extravagant acts of compassion and love and mercy in our city, not to gain the approval of God, but because it's out of this heart of gratitude and full forgiveness, that we've been forgiven of much and we've experienced so much that we can't help, we we can't hold it in, we can't help but express it in some extravagant way. And so on the outside, it it may look the same, but I want to tell you on the inside, it's so much more real and powerful and true to what Jesus gave his life for. I compare it to me coaching my son. The last three years, I've 
coached my son in Little League, and I just signed up for another year of that, so that's why I was reminded of this. But if you got your dad as your coach, you, 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 have, you already have his approval, am I right? He's not, your dad is not going to love you less or any more based on your based on your performance. And I pray that over my son, that he doesn't try to strive to gain my approval. No, I sit in the dugout, and I watch my son Bryce. I tell him before the game, I just want you to try your hardest. I want you to give it your all. When he's out there, whether he hits in the outfield, whether he strikes out, my love for him is constant. I just love that he's given his all, that he's putting his all into it. I want to see people in our church set free from the, the, the weight and the burdens of religiosity and trying to gain approval of others. Your father, Father God, has already spoken his delight over you by sending his son Jesus. He receives glory when we respond in relationship to him. I'll just end with this story. I grew up in a broken home. I've shared my testimony many times in this church. As God did a redemptive work in our family, redeeming us from alcohol, drugs, not me personally, but my parents, my my siblings, alcohol, drugs, my parents separated at an early age, you know, parents shifting in and out of our home. God did a redemptive work in our family, like a real miraculous work. My parents really had a heart then to help others that didn't have a solid family life. And so we had many people into our home throughout my uh, younger years. And there's one kid specifically that over a period of 15 years, my parents faithfully just loved. His name was Jeremy. Jeremy grew up in a home with just his uh, single mother. She was a hardworking lady. She did love the Lord, but they had their struggles. It's just a difficult life. If you grew up in a home with a single parent, it's a difficult life. We want to be a church that extends open doors to single parents. But Jeremy, as he shuffled into, in and out of our home, my parents continually provided a warm bed for him and a place for him to call home. As he struggled with drugs, alcohol, fighting, getting kicked out of school, jail time, in and out, this was his life for 15 plus years. The thing I realized over Jeremy's life was he was continually distrusting my parents' love for him. Continually. And the way that's evident is by our reaction to people's love towards us when we we lie and we cheat. We try to cut corners and sneak around. All All those actions outwardly are indications that we distrust a person's love towards us. And my parents don't exude a perfect love like our father's love, but they did exude a steadfast, faithful love for Jeremy. They would be corrective. They would tell him truth. They would help him out in any way without enabling him. But at the end of the day, they were going to love him. They're going to love him. And I feel like so often we distrust the love of God. Jesus came to bring good news. The kingdom of God, this message that he came declaring, the kingdom of heaven, is declaring the goodness of God. 
And I believe so many times we distrust it. So we can begin on this path of simply believing in Christ's sufficiency over our lives, only then to find ourselves falling into the traps of the distortions of the gospel that Paul is fighting against. Or we begin to bow to the approval of others and other people's opinions over us and our own scripts that happen and run around in our heads. God loves you. And over the next number of weeks as we dive through the book of Galatians, we are going to expound on the grace of God and then the identity of God that comes in the sacrifice of Jesus. We place our faith in him. There's a new identity that's spoken over our lives that I'm really excited for us as a church to discover. If everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.